I am, I am thankful to the Lord for this privilege of standing before you to share the Word of God today, to preach. We will continue our study on the book of Revelation, and we will look at chapter 19 with a focus on worship. Worship as a genuine response to who God is, what He says, and what He does. Response. Let's think about it for a moment. We normally respond to almost everything that we hear. We respond to almost everything that we see, we touch, and we learn, or even experience. Everything that is visible to our physical senses can impact our thinking, can affect the way we act, the way we talk, and the way we live our lives. And sometimes we respond in positive ways, sometimes negative. In our passage today in Revelation chapter 19 verses 1 to 10, we see that John responded to what he heard. He responded to what he saw and learned about God and about the Lamb. You know how John responded, right? He fell down to worship. And we will see that he fell to worship after having fully understood who God is. After fully understood uh, what God said and what he does, what he did. It was a sincere and genuine act of worship. Now, putting it into the life of the believers, I'd like to propose that every believer can worship God genuinely when he or she fully understands who God is, what he says, and does. So let us learn from John. Let us learn from uh, his example who himself was directed and moved into a genuine act of worship as he learned who God is, what he said, and what he does, as stated in this passage in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. But first, let us walk through the passage. Let us read our passage today. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of His saints. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, 
and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God or God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we are asking you for your wisdom. Guide your children, guide us, and use me as your servant to speak forth the truth, the word. And we pray, dear Lord, that you'll open our eyes, our hearts, our understanding, that we might be able to grasp that which uh, is really uh, powerful word that could transform our individual lives and the life of the church. This is our prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'd like first to, to give you a simple outline of the book of Revelation. Let us go back a little bit or farther to chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 19, we will be given or we are given three aspects of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 reads, Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. Here, we see the three aspects of the book of Revelation. And let's look at that really carefully. The three aspects of the book of Revelation. The past. The verse says, write down what you have seen. And then the present. And also the things that are now happening. And the future. The third aspect of the book of Revelation. And things that will happen. What are these all about? Jesus Christ revealed himself to John. And John received the vision with amazement. In, in verse 19, Jesus Christ ordered John to write down the things that first he had seen. Going back to chapter 1, John received the vision of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And what happened was, upon he, seeing the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, upon hearing him speak to him, John fell on the ground, to the ground, at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, as though dead. But Jesus himself, the Son of Man, allowed him to stand up and continued to speak to him. So, this is the first aspect. He said, this is what you have seen. Write them down. You have seen me speak to you. I have appeared to you. And that is something that you have to understand. 
That is something that is wonderful. And no one on this earth can understand that unless I speak to all of human beings, but I'm going to start with you. Then he continued to say, and also write both the things that are now happening. And Jesus Christ himself, the Son of Man, ordered John to write down a message to the seven churches in Asia. So you can see that from chapters 2 and 3. So John began to write. And the order was immediate. Right now, you have to write the message. Because I have important things to say to these churches. I have seen what they did. I have seen their desires. I have seen how they acted as churches, as Christians, as my children. I have heard that some of them are growing cold. And so you have to write and be able to send them one by one. That is the aspect of the present. John, right there, was receiving order. And the third is the future. Jesus received the vision of things that will come, including the great tribulation. Look at this. John received this vision of things that will come, including the great tribulation, the judgment of Babylon, the wedding banquet of the Lamb, the second coming of Christ, the new Jerusalem. And that began from verse 4 all the way to the last, or the la the chapter 4 all the way to the last chapter, chapter 22. Now, let us dig deeper and let us walk through our passage this morning. First, we will see that John heard. Twice in our passage in 19 verses 1 to 10, the word heard was used two times in verse 1 and in verse 6. Verse 1 says, After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. And also in verse 6, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. But verse 1 begins with the words, After this. What does this imply? The nearest context of our passage begins from chapter, seven and chap uh, chapter 17 and chapter 18. Here, we read about the judgment of Babylon in all its form. We see a description of how Babylon existed, corrupted the earth and all its inhabitants, persecuted God's holy people. And we see how Babylon, the great city, had fallen because God himself judged Babylon. Then after this vision in chapter 17 and 18, John said, I heard. After this, I heard. What do you mean by the word heard in this passage? It means receiving the sound and paying serious attention to it. It is not just a simple hearing through your right ear and letting what you heard pass uh, through the other ear. It's not simple as saying, I don't care. Whatever I heard, it's not a misheard, it's not something that you have overheard. John heard a great sound in heaven from a great number or large number of people. 
the great multitude. And what he did is, he listened intently. There was that intentional attitude to be able to grasp what the sound would mean. So he paid serious attention to the sound. And another thing that we need to, to look at in this verse is that it is coming from a great multitude of people. And he heard what? A great multitude. A large number of people in heaven. There was no direct reference to the identity of the great multitude in this passage, but we see words like servants, words like God's holy people, the bride, and some biblical scholars suggest that these people are actually the tribulation saints, the tribulation saints. And some say that this great multitude comprised the believers who were persecuted and martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ. Whichever way we look at it, this great multitude are the people of God. People, not stones, not trees, not all other living beings or living things on this earth, but people. They are believers in Jesus Christ. They are the saved. Amen to that. And another thing, after hearing that great sound in heaven coming from that great multitude, he learned about God and about the Lamb. Uh, it is an awful sight that a per after a person hearing an instruction or something that is wonderful, something that could be beneficial to his growth, physical or sp spiritual, to just say, I don't care. It's a sad thing. The desired result of hearing and listening carefully to something that is spiritual and coming from the Bible, coming from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the, 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 the desired outcome or result is that our desire to be touched, be transformed, be affected by those words. And John here learned. What did he learn? When John heard what John heard was a great multitude in heaven shouting hallelujah. Hallelujah is the equivalent for praise the Lord. Therefore, we could sense that those people in heaven, the great multitude in heaven, were praising God. They were worshiping the Lord. They were thanking God. This word hallelujah is equivalent to what we are saying when we come into this kind of gathering and say praise the Lord. When we hear good news of people coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, we say praise the Lord. When we hear people being healed because the church prayed for that person, we say praise the Lord and we say hallelujah. I remember when the first time I heard the cry of the baby Aris, I shouted hallelujah at the labor room. I was at the labor room when Imelda was brought into the delivery room. And, and when I heard Aris said, oh -ha, oh -ha, I shouted, Hallelujah! And those people inside the delivery room asked Imelda. They asked, who was that? He said, he's my husband. Oh, no wonder. No wonder. It's amazing. They were praising the Lord. And, you know, 
what John heard? Those people said, Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. In verse 1, salvation refers to the deliverance by God of His people. You know, God is the only one who is able to save man for all eternity. Amen to that. That thing that is impossible for men, God did. I heard one preacher who said, Jesus Christ, or God himself, did the most difficult job in this world. And what is that? Saving the sinners. Because he did not spare his son, the life of his son. He gave everything. It was not easy for God, as we imagine. A father giving away a child, a son or a daughter, for the sake of someone. It's not easy for your child to be taken away from you. Not easy for God, humanly speaking, to give away his son to suffer for all the sinners and bear all the sins of the world. And only God can do that. It was impossible. It is impossible for man to save himself. It is impossible for man to deliver himself from death, from all sorts of punishment. But God did. That is why those, that is why those people were rejoicing and said, salvation belongs to our God, belongs to our God. And another thing that they were praising God about is the glory. They said, glory belongs to our God. Glory is the radiance that speaks of the unequaled worth of God. That not even the angels in heaven, not even the seraphims, not even the cherubims could look straight without covering their eyes and their faces. The glory of God is unthinkable. You cannot just stare straightly on the glory, the radiance, the brightness of God himself. And so they said the glory belongs to him. That worth only belongs to him. And they said power also belongs to God alone. This word refers to God's might and strength. These three exclusively belong to God. Not to someone else. Not to any person on this earth. Not to all the kings that we know. Not to all the presidents and prime ministers. Not even to the devil. Not even to Satan. Only to God. All these three. And that is the very reason why the great crowd, the great multitude in heaven were praising God himself. We could imagine they were in the very presence of the one who was seated or, or sitting on the throne. Together with the 24 elders and the four living creatures. This multitude we're praising God, ascribing to Him salvation, glory, power to you alone. And it is important to note that this God is a personal God. You see, the verse says, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. 
You see, the great multitude has identified themselves with God. They are related to God and they claim ownership. Maybe the favor of God. God, they were properties of God. <laughs> and they claim ownership also of the favor of God. Uh, this speaks so powerfully to me. When I say praise the Lord, I mean praise my Lord. Uh, in the past, when I hear, when I say uh, something and then the other person say, oh, just praise the Lord. Well, I am doing that. <laughs> Somehow, I am hurt to, say, to, to hear that uh, when I share something great that the Lord has done in my life and then people say, oh, you don't have to share that, you just praise the Lord. The reason why I am sharing this to you is that I would like to share my joy so that you and I will give glory to God and say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Because He is our God. Amen to that. Another thing that uh, John learned from the crowd in heaven is this. Uh, the crowd said, His judgments are true and just. You can read that in verse 2a. And also, if you would go back a little bit to uh, Revelation chapter 16, verse 7 where we can read the seven bowls of judgments held by seven angels that they poured on the air, on the land, on the waters, uh, or the sea, the rivers, and all other parts of the world, and the created uh, universe. And God implemented or dispensed His judgment. And the Bible says, His judgment is just. His judgment is true and pure. No questions about the judgments of God. God's judgments are in accordance with the truth. In other words, He judges according to what He has already said in this book. He judges according to what He has promised and what He has pronounced to be truth, to be upright, and to be just. So when God judges us, and people in the world, he judges according to what is written here. When we disobey our parents, Jesus Christ would go to the children who are disobeying their parents and say, See, I'm coming to you and reminding you in the book of Ephesians, honor your parents, honor your father and your mother. Right? And if, you, and if we do not obey God, and if we dishonor God, uh, He will use His word, He will use what He has already promised, He will use what He has already said and written in this book to come and judge us. And He judges the world, the sinners, according to this also. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't mess up. He doesn't make mistakes when He implements His judgment. He never punishes an innocent person. He never punishes uh, an innocent creation. Human parents may misjudge and wrongly punish their children or child, but God don't. He will not. Now, I take confidence in this truth. You know why? He will no longer judge those whom he had already pronounced as forgiven and therefore found guiltless. Shall we say amen to that? His children can confidently present their case to the Lord 
before the throne of God in heaven, and for sure, help and favor will be granted to them that put their hope in him. Now, in contrast, in contrast, God has dispensed his judgment toward Babylon, the prostitute. In chapter 17 and 18, this judgment of Babylon or the fall of Babylon is the very reason for the rejoicing in heaven by the great multitude. Babylon represents the evil and sinful human system or earthly system. May it be political, religious, commercial, and all kinds of systems on this earth that cause believers to stumble, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be martyred. All these kinds of systems, John saw that God had already judged them. These worldly systems are inspired and controlled by the devil himself. And look at verse 2. We can see that the description of the great prostitute, the great prostitute had martyred, martyred, and caused the, the believers to be destroyed, to be ruined, and enticed the believers, the Christians, to do and join him in, his, in her immorality, to join her in her immorality. You see, this system has been present on earth throughout human history, and this system has opposed God continually. It opposed the Bible, and it continues to oppose the church now, and it continues to oppose Christ himself. It continues to close the minds and understanding of many people so that they will not see the truth and they will not believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and they will continue in the life that they used to live or to be in. And they say, there's no Christ. The Messiah is a myth. The Bible is nothing. And that's the work of the devil. Now another thing that John learned when he heard the words from the crowd, they were saying, God avenges the murder of his servants. You know, in verses 2 to 3, we read, He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. He has avenged. It indicates that God took vengeance for his people. He punished the great prostitute for what she did to God's people. It is clear that the great prostitute whom God has judged is the ones responsible for the martyrdom of many of God's servants. And as a result, God eventually destroyed that great city, the great prostitute, and Babylon. Verse 3 says, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. It denotes and it describes how God destroys Babylon. The smoke is a picture of the judgment of God. It may not be physical fire or smoke because uh, mostly Babylon represents uh, a spiritual enemy of the gospel. And we can just imagine how, could, how God is going to judge this spiritual enemy that destroys, 
that are trying that is trying to destroy the believers and he comes another thing god is the authority in heaven in verse 6 john said oh in in, in verses 4 to 5 the 24 elder elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped god who was seated on the throne and they cried amen hallelujah then a voice came from the throne saying praise our god all you his servants you who fear him both great and small who are these 24 elders who are these uh, four living creatures the first mention of the 24 elders uh, was recorded in chapter 4 of the book of revelation when uh, there's a sight in heaven a scene in heaven where there is a throne in the middle or not maybe in the middle but there is a throne where god himself is seated there and there were other 24 seats or thrones where the 24 elders were seated and uh, beside them or around them were the four living creatures and the work of these 24 elders and the four living creatures were was to give glory to him who was seated on the throne Every time the four living creatures say hallelujah amen praise the lord holy 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 the 24 elders uh, bend, go to their bended knees bend their knees and bow before the, the the throne bow before god who was seated on the throne they were laying down their crowns and saying hallelujah amen they were agreeing to the worship that is done by the four living creatures and here john heard the crowd saying those words again and something came to his mind that god is the authority not only the figure of authority in heaven but god himself is the authority in heaven no less than that and then verse 6 says he who is the authority in heaven reigns forever he is called the almighty So in verse 6 then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns this is similar to verse 1 there is that continuing shouts of praise and worship then he comes the announcement of the wedding supper of the lamb In verses 7 to 9 we read Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear the fine linen here stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people then the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb and he added these are the true words of God beginning from verse 6 he heard them shouting hallelujah again he heard the crowd shouting praise the lord again and they added to their words for our lord god almighty reigns and then he heard them talking to each other what did he hear the crowd were telling to each other let us rejoice let us rejoice and he could understand that john could understand that let us praise the lord let us be glad for what reason Verses 7 onward says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come. Let us implies, the word let us implies 
the great multitude is speaking to each other, encouraging one another to rejoice and be glad. They are saying to each other, let us rejoice for the marriage of the Lamb has come. It is the wedding celebration or the wedding banquet. In the ancient times, the wedding banquet is that part of the marriage that may take place for many days. And the number of days depends on how well off the family is. It may take place after the groom takes his bride to his own home and invite people for a banquet. Note that the word, uh, the same word translated marriage in, in this verse is translated marriage supper in verse 9. The word marriage that is translated in Verse 7 is the same word that is translated marriage in verse 9. And the marriage supper is its meaning in both verses. Therefore, we could say that the passage that not, does not indicate the wedding union or the marriage union. The passage indicates the banquet, the feast. And the wife here that is to be brought to the to the, to the groom's uh, place is the church. The groom is the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the passage does not indicate the location of the marriage banquet. The text just says, the marriage supper of the lamb has come. What is announced here is not the marriage union, but the marriage supper. The bride is described as ready, and she was given fine linen so she could wear it. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. This is such a beautiful picture of the bride, the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 to 27, Christ is said to be carrying on a present work within his church that he might sanctify, that he might cleanse it with washing of water by the word with a view to the future presentation in glory as stated in verses 27 onwards in in Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus Christ himself, the groom, is preparing the church right now. We are part of this process of the Lord's preparation for the bride to be presented to him without blemish, pure, without wrinkle. And this passage in Revelation is referring to the church, you and I, Belonging to that church. And John was looking at that future event. And Jesus Christ said, this is what is going to happen. There will be a wedding, a marriage between the lamb and the church. The groom and the bride. Jesus Christ and you and me together with him. And the banquet will be attended by so many people from all walks of life. Including you and me. And the 24 living creatures, I know, the 24 elders and the four living creatures uh, continually awaits for anyone who would come into relationship with Jesus and to be included into the body of Christ, which is the church, and to be wedded with Jesus Christ and be with Jesus Christ forever and ever in heaven where he lived. We will be free from wrinkles, not having spots, holy and without blemish. What she would wear is fine linen. Fine linen is the righteous acts of God's holy people right now. Now, the response of John. He realizes he is receiving the word of God, the very word of God. In, in, verses 19, in verse 9, uh, these are the true words of God in 9b. 
these words are expressed through the angel. It doesn't matter whether the word here uh, is referring to the whole or the entire Bible or the very words of the angel given to John at that particular moment or just the book of Revelation. It doesn't matter. The, the, the source of that word is God himself and it was given to John through an agent, the angel. And I'm sure John was able to identify that it was an angel that he was talking to. He was having a conversation with an agent of God himself and he was receiving the vision, he was receiving the words, he was receiving instructions. Now John's response is very remarkable. He fell at his feet and mistakenly worshipped the angel of God. But the angel rebuked him and directed him to worship God only. He fell at his feet. John was seeing the angel, and there's no doubt John knew this. He should never bow and worship created beings, including angels. But you see, this is not uh, the first time that John fell to indicate worship. Worship of the Lamb, worship of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, we see that John, after seeing Jesus, fell at his feet as though dead. But what is more remarkable is that the first time that John fell to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ did not prevent John to worship him, did not refuse the worship. But here in this, uh, in this verse, the angel rejected the worship. He said, what did he say? I am a fellow servant of yours and a fellow servant of your sisters and brothers a fellow servant of everyone who believes and have hope in Jesus Christ. Do not do that. And he said, worship God only. So it's a rebuke. Rebuked and he was given direction. Worship God means that it is God who is to be worshipped rather than the created beings like angels and human beings and anything on earth or in the air which many people in the world are doing today. Furthermore, it is not just any God that John is to worship. He's the God of heaven. He's the God of the Bible. He's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God of the universe. He's the creator. He's the awesome God. He's everything. Amen. What do we do now? What do we learn from this long passage? God reveals himself to all believers and he continues to show who he is in many ways, various ways. First, in nature, sometimes through human experiences in the Bible. Think about myself. I was a hot-tempered, hard-headed, rebellious person. I'm not... I, I won't uh, hide that truth. That I am not perfect. And when God called me to be a worship pastor, there was a little bit of struggle within me. You know why? How could a rebellious person lead a congregation in worship? How could a hot-tempered person and be harsh with someone and lead that person to worship? How could I do that? There was a struggle. 
I could not afford to say, let us worship the Lord. And yet when I am on the floor or outside of this room, I will be difficult to talk to, I will be difficult to be with, and I am harsh, and I am... be cruel to my child, be harsh with my wife, and tell them, let us worship the Lord. (laughs) How could I do that? But the Lord wonderfully worked and transforms me little by little. I'm not saying that I am not perfect now. Uh, I'm not saying that I am perfect now. I am just like anyone and anybody else in this room right now. Not perfect. But it is only by God's grace that changes is taking place little by little, step by step, according to what the Lord is working in us. He is not finished with us yet. But you see, God is showing himself to us continually through human experiences. So that at the end, his desire is for us to go to him and say, praise you, Lord. Glory to the Lord. We worship you. My dear friends, our proper response to God's revelation of himself to us is that genuine worship, as the angel angel told John, worship him only. In the New Living Translation, there is the word only. Worship Him only. Let us not take lightly of worship. Worship is not to be taken lightly. When we come into this kind of gathering, into a church gathering, into a worship gathering, let us prepare ourselves because worship is an overflow of an individual or personal devotion and worship of God. And so when we come here, we are prepared, we are ready, and we can encourage others who are uh, Growing cold. Without telling them that, oh, you are growing cold already, let us, or join me and let us worship the Lord. Without saying those words, you, through the way you worship the Lord, through the way you live your life, you may encourage others to join you in the path of righteousness. To join us in the path of righteousness. So that when we go out, we will continue to carry the light. We'll continue to carry the, the, the message of Jesus Christ. We'll continue to, to carry with, with our life the message into the world that says, Come, let us worship the Lord. And worship, once again, or lastly I would say, is the genuine response to who God is, to what He says, and to what He does. I don't know where we are at in our walk with Jesus right now. I really do not know where we, are, where we are at when it comes to our worship of God. Worship could not be imposed on people. It is an individual response to God. I cannot force Brother Ron, Brother Ron, that is not the way to worship. I cannot impose that to him. It is his response to who God is. And only God can judge our thoughts, our hearts. But right now, I would like to give each one of us an opportunity to search our hearts and say, Lord, where am I when it comes to my worship of you? When I come and play instruments, is that worship? 
already? Well, that's, that could be a part, a little part of what you are doing to worship the Lord. Because worship is everything about you toward the Lord. So let us bow our heads and just be quiet for a moment before the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for teaching us these lessons. We thank you that you are giving us the privilege of worship, the privilege of coming into your very presence, into your very heart, and respond to your revelation of yourself to us. Respond in that way because it pleases you. It was you who had prescribed the way to approach you. We can approach you with our singing. We can approach you with our dancing, our shouting, and saying, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We can approach you with a life that is lived in a righteous manner, in an upright manner. We can approach you in so many ways, but only you, Lord, had prescribed the way to approach you in your throne. And so we look into your word and thank you that you have opened our eyes right now, opened our understanding. Worship goes to you. Glory goes to you. Power goes to you. And salvation is ascribed to you alone. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.